Hello, and welcome to episode number 30 of the Faith School podcast. This podcast is for women of faith who are ready to put their faith into action in every area of their life and to claim the name of Kingdom Builder. This practical podcast is not just a list of how-tos, but is here to prompt you to take action and adopt the Kingdom way of life. Surrender to a holy God. My name is Leah, and I'm joining you in the messy middle of a surrendered faith. Come on in, take a seat. Class is now in session. those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome! And to my old faithfuls, welcome back! You guys, two months in a row with bonus episodes and a name change? Yeah, let's do this! This month's bonus episode is a beauty with an absolutely incredible woman who is a world changer, and it's not just me who thinks this. It's also Variety Magazine, USA Today, Huffington Post. No big deal. Uh, She was also a CNN Top 10 Hero of the year 2011 for her tireless work with at-risk Chicago teens. Recipient of the 2013 BET Shine a Light Award, she is an in-demand speaker and has been featured by many national media outlets. In 2019, she spoke at the U.S. House Judiciary Committee's first hearing on gun violence in years, and she has just graduated from the Golden Institute as a 2019 Chicago Peace Fellow. She lives in Chicago with her husband, Please give a very warm welcome to the absolutely incredible Miss Diane, Diane Latiker. Diane lives in the community of Roseland in Chicago that honestly has a history and reality of gang and gun violence. But instead of staying indoors afraid, Diane, she walks out confidently to help the kids who are the most affected and gives them hope for the future. And I think you're just going to be so incredibly inspired by her story and even more so I think you're going to be inspired by her love for God and her obedience to his will on her life. What she does, you guys, it is not easy, as she'll quickly explain, but she graciously shows up to love her neighbor in a really profound way. We might not live in the same situation as her. You might not be able to relate to her story very much, but I think that you're really going to learn how to actively love your neighbor and to pursue the kingdom no matter where you live. I can't, honestly, I cannot wait to see what you're going to take away from this episode. However, before we jump into the interview, I just want to make a quick note that I will be off of social media for the next 40 days doing Wendy Speaks 40-day social media fast. We did an episode with Wendy um, earlier on in the year, and I just knew that I had to take this step and do the social media fast with her. So I'm going to be continuing to serve you with great content on my email list, though, And I'm actually really loving that space right now Um, more and more as I send out two emails a week about with video encouragements, resource lists, my faith, fun and finds email and the occasional freebie. And it's all just to enrich your faith and to equip you to join the list. You can head over to the link in my show notes so that you don't miss a thing. All right, let's head into the interview with Miss Diane, Diane Latiker. Well, welcome, Diane. I'm so, so honored that you are coming on to our show to talk about your um, your book and the work that you do. And yeah, just the work that you're doing is so inspiring. So I would love to uh, have you introduce yourself a little bit with what are some of your roles right now and where are you recording from? Well, hi, Leah. I am so excited to be here. 
Thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, I am in Chicago, Illinois, in the United States. But um, really, um, the roles that I have is I am the executive director of Kids Off the Block. I am also the founder. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to talk about your program, um, but I would love if you would take us to the beginning of it, kind of where it, uh, the context of what kind of environment these kids were going up in and the area that you're living at the time. How did this all begin? So I live in Roseland. I've been here since 1988. I've lived in Roseland, which is on the far south side of Chicago, for 32 years. Mm-hmm. Back in 2003, I was I was living in Roseland, and um, Kids Off the Block started in my uh, three bedroom apartment. With I have, I have my husband and I <laughs> have eight kids, four boys and four girls. Wow! But we own we had our youngest at home, Aisha, who was 13. Everybody else was grown and gone on to college or married or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure Aisha graduated from high school and went to college. So I kind of tagged on to her and her friends. She did not like that, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would take them swimming and skating and fishing and, you know, um, and my mom, my mom is a minister and she saw it and she said, you should do something with the kids, Diane. They like and respect you. And when I tell you, Leah, in the back of my head, I'm going, no, I'm going to be free. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the kids are out. <laughs> I can go fishing and be a grandma. And, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I prayed about it, like, for three days. Really, I did. Because I'm like, how can I help other people, kids? I don't, you know. Um, Aisha had nine friends, girls and boys. They were 13 to 15 years old. And I I, I kind of grew up with them being around Aisha. And I thought I knew these kids, right? Yeah. But that day, July 15th, when I walked outside and I, because God pushed me, because I was standing in my window watching Aisha and her friends on the front of, out in the front of the house. And I didn't want to go out there. And God said, go out there. <laughs> <laughs> And so I ran out on the porch, not knowing what to say to these young people. Mm-hmm. And I said, Aisha, y'all come in for a minute. And and I asked them, what did they want to be when they grew up? And when I tell you, they were jumping up and down like two-year-olds and three-year-olds. I want to be a doctor. No, I want to be a rapper. No, I want to be a lawyer. No, I want to. I said, ho, 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 ho. I said to myself, they have dreams. Mm-hmm. And so I, I invited them into the living room and I sat down with them and I listened. I didn't tell them what I think or what, you know, I feel they should do. I, I wanted to hear what they needed me to do. How could I help? Yeah. And that's how it started. And I, when I tell you in like three days, there were kids knocking at my door that I had no idea who they were, where they came from. Mm-hmm. You miss Diane. And I'm like, yeah, and they, they say you can help me. And I'm looking around my house going, ooh, me. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, but I let them into my house. Mm-hmm. And um, that's literally how it started. And my husband and I looked up and there were 75 kids in our apartment day and night. Oh, my God. Homeless kids sleeping on our floor. There were kids who wanted to get out of gangs, and there were kids who wanted to go back to school. It was just, I had no idea where all these, I didn't even know all these kids lived around us. And I, they were coming from everywhere. Yeah. And, um, but when I tell you, I have found my passion at 46 years old, and I, I, it was a feeling like I can't stop. Yeah. My husband 
threatening to voice me quite a few times because he's like, what are you doing? We mm -hmm. can't even afford it. And he was right, but I couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. And I quit my job and that's when everything started happening. Uh, the neighbors started calling the police on me because kids were in and out day and night. And um, gang leaders threatened me and my family. They came in front of my house. I had to have them arrested. My van was shot up. It was, it was just stuff going on. Oh, wow. But I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. So wow. that's how it all started. Wow. Okay. So I... I think that a lot of us are not going to be in context like that. And so we don't really understand where these kids, you know, why they were in the situation that they were in or what kind of environment that they're in. Can you give us a little bit of context as to what that environment was, is like for them or was like for them growing up and, um, and just the area that you're living in? Roseland, when my auntie moved here in 72, it was, the mo I was 16 years old. It was the most beautiful place I ever seen in my life. And we only live like 10 miles away, right? In another community in Chicago. And I, my mom brought me out here and like, oh my God, this is paradise. It was so beautiful. Um, but it was only a few blacks here. Okay. And um, it was like Dutch and Irish, you know, living here. And um, when blacks started to move in, white flight happened. Mm. Uh, everybody moved out practically. And when that happened, the manufacturing jobs left, a lot of businesses left. And it was just, it, it became over the years, by the time we actually moved here in 88, it was a whole different place. Mm. And that's where these kids grow up in, grow, started growing up in. The violence was starting to heat up and there's a lot of gangs. Mm -hmm. um, there were no jobs. There was no recreation for kids to release. And by 2003, kids were just out on the street. And the gangs, uh, although they are negative, they were like a family to these kids because a lot of those kids come from one-parent households. Moms were working. Dads were not in the picture. It was just, it was just great. Once I really start to hear these kids, mm -hmm. these situations they came from, and those that had parents that, like were really in the household and would help them and stuff when they were coming out into the community, they still were confronted by gangs, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that street life. Right. And so I, I was once a kid, I had to be a kid to get the age I have. So, yeah. and I remember how important it was for community, how important it was to know that there was Miss Jones down the street who watched me and, mm -hmm. and would, you know, hover over me when my mom was at work and she, Diane, did you eat when you, you know, came in from school, you know? Yeah. That was important. Although I used to be mad at Miss Jones because she used to tell my mom everything. <laughs> <laughs> but when I got old, I realized how important that was. Mm -hmm. How she was the keeper, you know, her and other neighbors. And, uh, and their kids need that. They need that when they come into their communities. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, I feel like we're so individualized now and that just how important that community is. It's incredible. Wow. We really are. And I think social media has really helped us to become individualized, like, yeah. you know, into ourselves. You mm -hmm. know? Definitely. Definitely. I'm wondering, you know, you said that they're being confronted by by gangs and, and, with, and with violence and stuff. How, for someone who I just... I, I'm not familiar with this. How do they get kind of trapped into 
that lifestyle? Or how do they get kind of pulled in or sucked into that? First of all, I would say entertainment has a lot to do with that because they glamorize the gang life. Mm-hmm. You know, we, when I was a kid, Al Capone and all these gangsters, it was sexy. It was, you know, it was cool. It was exciting. Although they were getting killed mm-hmm. in the jail, you know, you, you, you know, they were the bad guys, you know, they were, but they were, they were the guys that had everything, the cars, the money, you know? Right. And so um, I think when you are a 12 year old kid, and you you're going back and forth to school and you see the, this guy who may be four or five years older than you. And he got on new gym shoes and he's driving a nice car and he got money in his pocket. And you watching him every time you go to school and come back. Yeah. And you, you know, you like, hey, that's the hero. That's the man, you know, because he helping so and so and he doing this. Mm-hmm. But you have no idea, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think so much as they get trapped into it as they idolize and they see in their community that that's who has everything because Mm -hmm. they don't have role models and they don't have people in the community who can, what I would say, be beside this drug dealer or this gang member and say, no, this is the way to go. Yeah. This is the successful route. Education is key. Mm -hmm. They don't have it. They Mm -hmm. don't have it. So I, I, I really pray for them a lot, me and my mom, because we, we actually lay, lay oil on them, too, to cover mm. them. Even going to school, they could get caught up. And um, some of them have even died going back and forth to school, being shot. And so, you know, it's just so much. And how can you put all that on a child? Yeah. As if they're not dealing with enough already. When you when you are a preteen or a teenager, you already get all this stuff going on in your head, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't, you don't need that outside influence to make you scared to go to school or make you think you might not live to see another day or watch your friends dying. That's yeah. too much for adults. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you're hearing these the, you know the context that they're in and you're hearing their stories and you start this program. What was your initial vision for Kids Off the Block? Like, what did you, you so you, you listen to them and you kind of get, you know, you're inviting them in. Did you have like a, a vision for what it could be or would be or? To be honest, no. Yeah. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> it was all on God. <laughs> it was all on him. Mm-hmm. Because I, I realized it was his plan. And yeah. he wanted, he, he I, I'm so thankful that he chose me though, that he thought I was even worthy enough because I'm a flawed person, you know? Yeah. So you don't think you're worthy of God saying, hey, you know, tapping you on the shoulder, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, for, for, for weeks, I was like, Lord, really me? Mm-hmm. You know, even in the midst of all these kids in the house, I'm standing there and I'm going, you chose me. I had no vision because I, I, I had to learn how to help them. Yeah. And God had to show me that. Yeah. And 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 I'm thankful that he he had he put it in my heart to care for them with no judgment, to 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 just help, you know. Mm-hmm. And once I got to kind of moving on that, like I don't have I didn't have to have all these degrees and a million dollars and a, a big fancy building. I just had to care. Yeah. That yes. Was and he would take care of the rest. Yeah. And he did. So good. So good. He cares so much. I I think we kind of, I mean, I'm a big vision person. I want to like lay out, you know, steps A, B and C and all the way to Z. (laughs) And you just, 
I know I'm learning and even with something like this podcast or anything else that I'm doing, just how much, I mean, it's okay to have a vision and it's good to have a vision. I'm, I'm for that, but that God cares enough to like put the steps ahead of us that we need to take. Because that's faith, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I believe me, I have to have a lot of that. I have to yeah. rely on faith because I cannot see. Mm-hmm. I can't. That's what let me know it's his and not mine because Diane Latica will be on a fishing bank somewhere. Right. <laughs> but because of his vision for me and the, mm-hmm. and the young people I serve, he, he guides everything. Mm-hmm. So although I plan, oh yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I look up and, you know, it'll be something else. But I know that it came from him mm-hmm. because it works. Yeah. Yeah. You know so when good. it comes from him because it works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that's where our faith come in. And I don't, I don't think I could do this without faith. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I, I love what you're saying because it kind of leads me to my next question because, you know, you're listening to the Lord for what you need to do. And you also were listening to these kids when you invited them into your living room. That's just really powerful for me because you were looking to hear from them before you pushed something on them or assumed anything. And so I would love if you could kind of expand on just like how powerful that practice is of really listening. Let me tell you how powerful it is. Once those kids got through talking, nighttime had hit and we had lost track of time. We were all crying. Because they really, they really poured. Now, I thought I knew these kids. You know, they were coming in and out of my house. Hey, Miss Diane. You know, you yeah. think you know them. Because I knew them from when they were small and on up to that age group. Because they were Aisha's friends. When those kids got talking, we were, man, we were crying like babies. And, and, these, and these kids were, they were not like babyfied kids. They were hard kids. Right. And to see them crying, them boys, and then them girls, and hugging each other and trying to comfort each other. Mm. Oh, my God. And I I just, they had drained me by the night. (laughs) I had cried, so I couldn't even talk. My voice was gone. Wow. Because I had no idea. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. So to sit there and listen to them, and it was like something just went through me, like, really? You mean to tell me these kids are going through all these things and nobody's helping them? They're going to take that out into their adult life. Whatever that anger is or that, that, that feeling of being neglected and judged and all that's going with them mm-hmm. into society. Mm-hmm. If somebody doesn't step in and say, no, 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 you're cared for, you're loved. You know, we want to help. Yeah. It has to be done. And God knew that. He knew that. Mm-hmm. Have you found that like, as, as your program's grown, that's just continued to be really important, that kind of listening practice? Oh, it's the only way I will ever. And, and, and if God forbid anything happens to me, the next person, my daughter, uh, I, I'm trying to get Aisha to take over. She's running from me, but I got Come but, back. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, if, God, if something happens, I wanted that person or those people to know that the first thing they've got to do is care. They've got to care enough to listen. they got to mm-hmm. care enough not to judge and to love young people for who they are because that's the only way you can help them. God, yeah. draw, he draws us with love and kindness. That's, the, that's how he draws us. And that's what we've got to do. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking, being like a real reflection of that kind of that of father that. God, right? Yes. Yeah. I love that. So I'm wondering then like creating connections with these kids, um, you know, you had kind of an in with them that you, there was your daughter and, and her friends, but as the program grew and all that, what does it look like for you to create connections with more and more of them? And how did you kind of keep them coming back? I mean, the Lord draws them, but yes. how did, how did you keep, keep, keep them coming back? Being genuine. That's one thing I, and you know, we're the biggest critics of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> we, nobody even has to do anything. We'll be the ones that go, no, you can't do that. And you shouldn't do, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I think being genuine enough for them to trust me, um, that I really do care. I want nothing from them. Right. Um, just to, for them to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized a long time ago that kids rec- recognize real. They really do. And mm-hmm. so you have to be real with them. And what I mean by that is whatever your flaws are, don't hide them from them because mm-hmm. we all have them. Mm-hmm. And, but what you're trying to do is work through your flaws and their flaws so we all can be successful, so we all can thrive, so we all can feel hopeful. Mm-hmm. Because I tell everybody that's my biggest thing is hopelessness. Because when they come to me, they they are, they feel hopeless. And it's a battle to get them to feel like there is hope. Yeah. How do you share that hope with them? Are you guys really straightforward with like with like your personal faith? Or is it just loving them in the way that you know Jesus loves them and kind of letting it fall into place? So what is yeah. what is your guys' approach? Because God will do that. Yeah. What we do is we show them so much love and mm-hmm. so much kindness. And I'm not I'm not leaving out discipline because mm-hmm. it's there too. Because God disciplines us too. Yeah. But what I'm saying is it's so much of it until there's this thing with God where it's about the heart with everything. To me, this is my mm-hmm. personal opinion. Mm-hmm. That God sees our heart. And so with those young people. When we show them that much love and kindness and that is real, then they have their heart changes. They have no choice. Mm-hmm. And that's where God comes in because then they'll come and say, Miss Jackson, that's my mom's name. Can you pray for me? Mm-hmm. They'll line up. They'll line up so she can pray for them. And, and then they'll, Miss Diane, uh, uh, can, you, can you ask God to help me? You know, stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not that we're putting it on them. It's right. not that we're pressuring them. Is that they see it in us. So they they want to be a part of that. Because to them, that means goodness. Being a part of God means being of goodness. Yeah. Share that goodness. And it's real and genuine. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and, and that's how we do it. Yeah. Know? And do you, do you feel like that genuineness, like I imagine that there would be some, I could be wrong, but I imagine that to kind of creating trust with some of them would be hard. <sighs> it's past hard. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've lost some to violence because they just didn't believe. They and that was their right. Mm-hmm. You still love them. Mm-hmm. You know, you, whatever God say, man. Um, but some of them, you know, they did. They just I don't believe in that peace thing you're talking about. I don't I don't want no part of it. And I don't get angry with them for that. What I do is I continue to love them and always keep my door open to them. Yeah. Because I don't know who God's going to tap on the shoulder and say, you go back and talk to Miss Diane. Or, or you go see prayer. 
you know. So I don't know. I don't know how God's going to do that. And then God might not allow them to ever come back. Right. But what I've got to do is keep believing in God's plan and keep on for the next kid. Mm -hmm. So I don't get hopeless, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about kind of, you know, how have you seen the culture change around you because of the love that you're pouring out on these kids? Have you seen kind of maybe a shift in the culture of the kids or in the, the neighborhood that you're in? Or how, how have you seen this love really impact the people that you're serving? Big time. Mm-hmm. When we first started, I I really didn't know the power of, of hope and I mean, I knew it was a word and, you you know, you people have hope because you use it in sentences. But I had no idea mm-hmm. of how love is so powerful, love and hope and inspiration and, and how much it means to people. And mm-hmm. I found out that people never forget how you make them feel mm-hmm. about everything. You can give them all kind of big gifts. You can pat them on the back and. And, and, and you can do all, you can do so many things for them because we have, but when they leave you and they realized how you made them feel when they were around you, man, that's the big kahuna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, that, young people have come back to me that have left years ago and went on to college or they went and started their own business and they'll come back and say, remember Miss Diane, that time that you told me I was a, I was a leader, but I was a negative leader. Imagine if I was a positive leader. And and then they tell me what they're doing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot I even said, you know, you, yeah. just, you know, but it's powerful, man. It's it's powerful when you can do small things and they turn out to be so big mm-hmm. and God stretches it and 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 he takes this person away from you, but there's a seed that God allowed you to put in them. And then they take that seed and they go to others with it. Yeah. That's powerful. It's that ripple effect. It's that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. good. Can you give us an example of that? Like, is there a specific story that comes to mind? There are a lot of stories that come to mind, but Trey, Trey Beyonce, we call him Trey. Uh, Trey came to me when he was about 16 years old. He was a good kid already. He wasn't, you know, uh, he was surrounded by it, but he was already a good kid. And Trey came to me and um, he stayed around because he liked um, the music and the mentoring and stuff like that. And I got to know Trey. And when I tell you over the years, he stayed with me for about four years. He got 20 years old and he went on to college in Mississippi and when Trey came back, Trey started helping so many people. Mm-hmm. He just, he just, and then he was, he, uh, I called him for an interview, ABC 7 here in uh, Chicago. And when Trey sat down with the, with the reporter, he said, if Miss Diane hadn't kept on saying those words, then I was great and I could do it. And he said, I didn't, I wouldn't have believed I could. Oh. And I was like, well, I had no idea. Yeah. That's what I mean. He and you should see this amazing young man. He's so talented and he does art. He's gotten hooked up with all these companies and helping other young people to realize their dreams. He's amazing. And, and we get I'm so excited about this. We got <laughs> him to do our, one of our mentoring programs. Oh, he was phenomenal. 
for like six weeks, he, he ran our, our mentoring program. Oh my God, this young man was so powerful and so positive. The young people that left the program, they, they just threw him glory all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and they do. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, but it just takes a small thing. Mm-hmm. A small thing. And now he's spreading it everywhere he goes. Yeah. That's so cool. I, I love hearing those stories of when you really understand a context or you really understand a certain group of, of people or a lifestyle and you're able to, to come back and help or to like, because you understand where, where they're coming from, you're just able to pour in in a really special way. Like God can use us in such a really, oh, a really u- unique and special way. He uses us. You know what I say? Uh, Trey can do that because he came from that. Right. So it's genuine. Yeah. Genuine. Because he came from that. He When he went out there to help those other young people, they knew he was genuine. So they accepted him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. I, I, I don't know. I love hearing that. Like our God is so redemptive. and just oh. makes me so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I want to talk about maybe some of the times that have been a little bit harder. Were there times that you felt like things were kind of going to fall apart or something wasn't working? And how did you rely on God on those moments? I feel like a lot of this work that the ministries that we do or whatever, they're kind of romanticized and people don't really get to see the the hard things that we, not not we, that others (laughs) have to go through in order to really serve um, and that there are trials that come. And you know, spiritual warfare and all sorts of stuff that happens. So I would love if you would be able to tell us maybe a time when things felt hard and were falling apart. And then, yeah, what did it look like to really rely on the Lord? Because he's the only one that can really bring us through that. I quit every day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm serious. Yeah. It it would be so hard until I'm like, Lord, you can't have me. You know, I'd be really like talking to the Lord, like, Lord, this is, you know, I'm just a mom. I, I, I can't take off. I have a kid who's sitting in my living room who's scared to go home because he got into it with a gangbanger. And, you know, and so I've got to put him in the van and I've got to take him home. But how's he going to get to school the next day? And then I've got a, a kid right. who got shot the night before. I got another kid who got arrested who calls me at one in the morning to come to the, the police station to get him out. I mean, and, I, and I'm going, and then I got my family. I got four of my kids who hate what I'm doing because they say it's so dangerous and they're right. And then mm-hmm. I got my husband who, what are you doing? I, you, you, this is, you know, and so it, 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 every day I was like, Lord, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know? And then the Lord would say, no, you're not. Because <laughs> he was sending this kid who would just turn me around, you know, and I forget about quitting. And then I wake mm-hmm. up the next day and I go, I'm quitting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, and now I look up and it's 17 years later and it's just, it's crazy. I attribute it to keep going, whatever mm-hmm. it is. It might not be what I do, but if you believe God and you keep going, mm-hmm. he's going to change it. Because he put it there. He gives us all talents and he expects mm-hmm. us to use them mm-hmm. and not sit on them. And to use them is to help others. Some way. I, I often felt that, like like when I seen, a, I seen a couple of the young people who were murdered. And I was going to a lot of funerals and stuff. 
And it got to the point where I couldn't go anymore because it was draining my soul. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to inspire the young people I was helping, I had to have hope myself and be inspired. And I couldn't do that by keep going to funerals. I'm just sitting here thinking about you, you, you criticize yourself because you want to do more. Mm -hmm. You feel that you could have saved those young people. You could have, you should have did this. You should have did that, but I couldn't save them, you know, and that, that hurts. Mm -hmm. So even in my, my mind of quitting, I knew that I wasn't going to quit because I love yeah. them. I, I, I wanted to help. Mm -hmm. I, you know, God, God didn't have to push me too much. And he knew that because I really want to help them. Mm -hmm. And I still do. And I've had people say, you should move out of that neighborhood. It is too dangerous. And you're getting too old and you're not educated. And I sat back and I look at all those things and, and I know that God doesn't think I'm too old and he doesn't think I should move. Well, see, move me because he can if you want to. So I, I say no. And I don't. That's so good. I, you know, I really feel like our role, I mean, I, our purpose here is to, you know, love God, love others. And God qualifies us. Nothing else really qualifies us. But he, I mean, the work that he does in us qualifies us to serve in whatever way that we can. And so I just, I just love everything that you shared there. Have you ever thought about, though, God doesn't care if we qualify? He it's not like we have to be qualified. It's like we have to be willing to listen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So good. That obedience is so yes, important. That's the word. That's the word. Do you want to, do you think it's important and do you have good supports in place for yourself to keep, you know, to persevere like that community aspect? Do you have a community around you that helps you keep going? I do. I my mom used to always tell me, you earn respect. And like I said, they were first really upset with me, all these kids running around my community. Um, but now they support, oh man, my community stands up. They do. And I am so thankful for that. I am thankful that God has touched their hearts. So whatever we, we try to do with young people, all I have to do is make a phone call to my community. Or all I have mm -hmm. to do is say, um, this kid is hungry or this kid's lights got turned off or, you know, and my, my community steps up because, because we have built that trust and they know that what we're trying to do with kids is real. Mm -hmm. You know, they know we don't do anything to harm those, those young people. And my community has been amazing. I am very honored to live here. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm thinking of the people that are hearing about the work that you're doing and they're thinking about their own context, their own kind of their own neighborhoods, their own communities. And they're wondering, how do I start this? How do I start to really serve and and love my own community? And maybe it's not starting a program necessarily, but it's just the person next door or, you know, in a, in a smaller way, maybe. Like, what would you what would you say to that person who really wants to know how to how to start? I would say what you just said, <laughs> the person next door. Or the, or the kid down the street or the, the senior citizen that lives on the next block that you know is alone. Whatever, whatever is in my heart that I care about and I, I feel that it's, it's not right or I feel that something needs to be done about it, do it. 
Mm -hmm. if you feel you can't do it, find out who is and help them, Mm -hmm. but do something. Because I just believe in my heart that when you get up and you move on God, when you, when you know in your heart that he's telling you to do something Mm -hmm. and, you know, we make all these excuses because we human. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so you've got to get up and move when, when you when you know he's telling you this. You gotta mm-hmm. get up and move on it because he's telling you you can make a difference, you can help someone. Mm-hmm. Start where you are with what you have. Don't look to wait, oh I'm gonna wait till I get this, or oh, I'm gonna wait till I do that. No, you're already prepared. You believe, yeah. you believe. Yeah, so good. Like the on the podcast, we really want to be practical and you know, give like the how-tos and all this, all the steps, and there's a place for that, but there's also a place of just start where you are. Start where right? you are. Yeah. Because if you read stories in the Bible, and I'm not a Bible scholar, let me get that out there. <laughs> stories, <laughs> you, you notice that God chose people who were just where they are. He, mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't tell them in five years, you'll be king, and then I'll make you'll do this. And you no. He's like, hey. I need you to do this, no matter where they were or what what was going on. He would tap them, tap their heart and, you know, say, you can do something about that. Is there anything that comes to mind when it's like advice that you would have given yourself at the beginning of this process or beginning of this journey? Like, you know, something that you would have maybe want to learn, would have liked to have learned a little earlier about the work that you're doing or the the way that you've loved them? No, because if I knew what I knew now, I probably wouldn't have did it. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. I, I, God took me in just the way I needed to be taken in. Yeah. Naive and eyes wide open. And because if I would have studied and if I would have knew that I was going to get shot at, that I, my family was going to get threatened, that kids were going to die, I don't think I could have done it knowing all that. And he knew mm-hmm. just how to bring me in there. No knowledge whatsoever. Let me do it. Let me, you know, let me do what he says. Awesome. Well, just obedience again. I love <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what do you, as we conclude this part of the interview, I just want to know about what do you know about God because of the work that you're doing? He's everything. Mm-hmm. He's everything. Nothing I feel could be done without him. Uh, matter of fact, I know, I know that it, as, as far as my own personal situation, Mm-hmm. I know that God is merciful. Mm-hmm. I know that God is an avenger. I know that too. I know that you don't mess with his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I also know that there is this love that God has for all of us. And I wish I had it. I, I wish I, he loves us so unconditionally with all our faults and all our thoughts, and all, you know, just being human. And he still loves us in spite of ourselves. And so when I, when I would cry to him and, and I, and I would cry, oh boy, when I cry yeah, and I would cry to him and I would just get this warm feeling that he said, okay, Diane, you've cried and I hear you. So what are we doing next? <laughs> and that's how he would get me through everything. Mm-hmm. And my husband would be, when you go to bed? Because I stay up, I, I can't go to bed because I'm so excited about the things that God puts in my head to do for young people every day. And that to me, that's how God operates in my life. You get through crying, Diane, get up. Because we got work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And he's with us through the whole process, the whole you know, fr- the, the tears and the, you know, let's move on, let's move forward. So And the joy. Yeah. And, the joy. and what people yeah. got to realize is even when things are going good, 
or you believe they're going good and you're joyful, that's the time to really praise him too. That's the time mm-hmm. to really get to pray and get on your knees because he wants to know. He wants you to praise him for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. In every season. In every season. Um, so we're going to just wrap up with like three questions that I like to ask every guest. Um, but before I do that, I just want to say, well, thank you for coming on here for one thing. And secondly, being an example of obedience. I, I, I mean, the work that you're doing is inspirational and like, I just see the lives that you've touched and, and, and all of that. But really, uh, I just thank you for your courage to be obedient in what you're doing and just day by day. Just thank you so much for being an example. I would love to know the, these questions. So what is one resource that you would recommend to listeners that's helped you in the work that you're doing or just has helped you in general? I would say people. Mm. I would say people because one thing I love about God is he puts people around you. And they, and they, and they might only be there for a season, but they have a reason to be there. He put them there to encourage you to keep you going. And I love that. I, I, pe- so many people have been in and out of uh, my life since I started this. Mm-hmm. And they were there for a reason. And, I, and, th- and that's the reason I'm still doing it. And, um, and I, they're also supportive and loving and, and they believe in you. And, and, and um, so I would say that that's the number one resource to me regarding what God has given me. He has put people in my life that believe in what I'm trying to do through God. Yeah, that community is so important. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, and the second question is, what is one spiritual practice or discipline that you've found really life-giving in this season? I really have no practice or discipline. It's whenever, because my life is like a moving, it's just, it's all over the place. Because young people, because I can't put a time and a place or a number on what these situations these young people have. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't have a precision, you know, way of doing anything. I just, I just do it. I just, mm-hmm. you know, of course we have like our after school program is three to seven and summer is this time and we do this and this and this. But mm-hmm. at any given moment, something can happen where I have to rely on God. Mm-hmm. I go, what do I do? How do I do it? So I don't, I don't like to put this bubble around what I do. Yeah. Because you know, I never know. Yeah. All I know is that God is there. <laughs> He's there somewhere. So that's soon. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And I think that's something that's really special because, um, you know, a, a lot of people have, you know, rightly said, you know, like going for a walk and being in nature or having like that solitude or whatever, but those are all moments where we meet the Lord. And that's the commonality, I, I think, you know, that your need for him in from, you know, moment to moment, day to day, situation to situation. I mean, that is meeting him and, and needing him. So that's a practice all in and of itself. All right. And lastly, is there anything else that you would like to share with us maybe about your, your program or uh, I know that your book oh, that yeah. I want people to buy. Yeah. You want to tell us a bit about that? Well, I did. I wrote a book. It, it was released on September 1st. Super excited. It was years in the making. And the whole book is just situations I've been in and how God has blessed and, you know, walked me through it or put his arms around me. And 
I wanted to do that because I wanted people to know no matter what you think is small to you is huge to somebody else and inspire them to don't get angry behind your computer and, you know, curse the world out. Get in it. Get in it. If you, if you believe God, if you, what is that? Faith is a mustard seed. You -hmm. believe God at all, any little way. Mm-hmm. believe that he wants you to, to to help others because really it gives you this, this spiritual feeling that you can't even put in words. When you help someone, you think mm-hmm. I'm helping somebody in a, in a physical form. No, that's a spiritual form. Because not only does it make the person you're helping feel great, it makes you feel great. Mm-hmm. And that Mm-hmm. Gives your spirit the husband it needs to do other things. Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I have found for myself that the times where I have felt closest to the Lord, or where I have felt, I think the most connected to Him, is when I have taken actual action steps of faith, where He's and He's met me in met me there. I really think that a lot of our growth happens in motion and not necessarily just sitting down and studying. So I love that. I love, and I love, I started reading your book. I am loving it so, so much. And I'm excited to power through it because it's, (laughs) it's so good. It's so good. So I want people to buy it. Um, Well, thank you so much, Diane, for coming on. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I have really enjoyed talking to you. I could talk to you all day. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you are so at, at ease and so welcoming. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. See, that's the way God. See, that's the way God people be. They they just so warm, and I love it. I love it. Thank you. Ah, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. All right. First, I knew you were gonna love her. Secondly, when I listened back to the recording, I honestly felt like I was being so encouraged like I was one of the kids that she serves and I was just being mentored to love extravagantly and purposefully. She is such a light in her community but not only that but I think it's a global scale like she's having this ripple effect on the people that she's serving and now they're serving others. It's just such a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. I hope that you didn't sit back and feel any comparison creep in. I know sometimes that happens. Someone like Diane can make us feel intimidated or, you know, we feel like we're just not doing enough, but don't feel like that, you guys. What you need to ask instead is that God just continues to show his will for your life and you need to be obedient to that will. All right, next week, we have a pair of lovebirds on the show to talk to us about what it means to date with a kingdom mindset especially in today's culture. And if you're married, I don't want you to skip this one. I actually want you to listen because I think that there's some really good reminders that you can take away from the conversation. After nearly 10 years of marriage, I know that I needed to hear some of these things that they were sharing all over again. So don't miss out on the conversation with Evie Rupp and Landon McLeod. Make sure that you are subscribing to the podcast so it lands in your podcast player next week. If you want to catch me on the socials, again, you can find me at at leah.rempel or at faithschoolpod on Instagram, or you can go to our Facebook group, Intentional Women of Faith. And I am just so happy to continue serving you on those platforms. As a reminder, I am going to be taking some time off of social media until late March. 
So if you want to keep in touch, make sure that you're signing up for the email list in the show notes, and I am happy to continue serving you there. Thanks for spending a little time with us today at the Faith School and I-68 Ministries. We are praying for you every week that you would feel totally surrendered today to the God who made you, the God who loves you, and the one who wants to partner with you. All right, class is now dismissed. Go out there and build his kingdom. We'll see you next week with Evie Rupp and Lennon McLeod.